Um, as Matt said, and most of you know, my name is Brandy, and I'm an elder here at TNL, and I'll be teaching tonight. Um, mostly, you just need to know that I love reading the Bible, and I love learning about it, and I love sharing what I'm learning with other people. So um, I think for me, I've learned the more that we immerse ourselves in God's word, the more we begin to see who God really is and how he relates to us. So I think that's pretty cool. Tonight, as Matt said also, we are starting a series on the parables of Jesus. So in the next couple weeks, we will hear from a few new-ish voices that don't often teach at TNL. Um, and we are giving Phil the month off from teaching. So as we approach the parables in the coming weeks, keep in mind that there's a lot for us to glean. We can honor Jesus's intended meaning by pondering these stories and asking questions and drawing nearer to God. The parables are his explanation of God's kingdom. And that was the work that he was bringing about. So this is about Jesus and the kingdom. Before I tell you which parable I have chosen, because I'm sure you're all anxious to know, let's start with two questions. One, what is a parable? Two, why did Jesus use them so often? Well, I'm glad you asked. A parable is a short provoking story used to teach about God's kingdom and it uses metaphor. So Jesus is a storyteller. He's actually often retelling stories from the old Hebrew scriptures, which his audience grew up hearing. So this is all familiar for them. Maybe not as much for us, but Jesus would add a little something, something, which basically means unexpected, surprising plot twists. M. Night Shyamalan style. So why parables? Because more, or just like, nope, restart. <laughs> because more than straightforward teaching, stories have the ability to awaken new insight. And also they stick. So Jesus wanted to be known. He wanted people to draw near to him, just like we all do. But he also knew that not everyone wanted to receive the truth. For first century listeners whose hearts were soft and bent toward God, parables were memorable and actually showed them who God is. For those listeners whose hearts were hardened and bent against God, they would just be left in confusion. The religious authorities of Jesus's day were so set on the image that they had of themselves and the things that they thought they knew and believed about God, that they missed God in the flesh. Because when we think we already know something, we tune out, right? For instance, how many of you just tuned out because I said I'm teaching on parables? Mm-hmm, you've already heard them all, right? 
So when we think we know something and we think someone's going to tell us about it, we don't, we don't want to learn more. But for the people who wanted to learn more about God, they just had to do a little extra work. That's what we're going to be doing. A little extra work, asking questions and pondering because God gave us brains for a reason. Tonight, I will share with you the parable of the vineyard, also known as the parable of the evil tenants. I'll be reading out of the gospel of Matthew, but this parable is actually found in Mark and Luke as well. So it's retold a few times. So feel free to open up your Bible app or book of choice um, to the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and read along. I am reading out of the New Living Translation. And so it's Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33. Now, listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. Pause. So the fact that this story is set in a vineyard actually has huge significance because not only was Galilee full of vineyards, so this is a common everyday image that people understood, but even more so the analogy of Israel as God's beloved people and God's beloved vineyard. This is a film familiar analogy. It's all through the scriptures. So without going into all of the nerdy details, um, this parable is set up to reflect a parable from the Old Testament, which God gives to his prophet Isaiah. Right off the bat, Jesus's listeners get this allusion to Isaiah 5, and they know that Jesus is about to tell them something to do with God and his relationship to Israel. Also, I'm sure people have tuned Jesus out because they know this one, they've heard it. But this is where the story starts to take its first twist. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. This seems like a very unreasonable response to your landlord collecting rent, right? But here we go. Picking up in verse 37. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. What? 
So they drag him out of town, out of the vineyard, and murdered him. Lost my spot in my note. So now everyone knows this is not the story they thought it was going to be. They're wanting to know where Jesus is taking this. So Jesus asks them, what do you think the owner will do to those farmers? Awkward silence. The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Jesus goes on to refer to himself as the stone that the builders rejected. We're going to skip over that a little bit because it gets better. And that's for another day. Now Jesus is ready for the mic drop. In verse 43, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. No more metaphor, you. And given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Let's recap. God had planted and nurtured Israel to be a blessing to all people. He entrusted them to kings and priests. And now these leaders are dragging Israel farther away from God. But God has been so patient, sending prophet after prophet to call Israel back to their covenant relationship with him. And yet they kill prophet after prophet. This is the story of the whole Bible over and over. But the leaders are so set against God now that they're plotting to murder the son. And his story enrages them. There's so much more in this simple story than a moral lesson. Jesus is dropping some serious truths. If we back up to the beginning of this chapter, a lot has happened. So Jesus makes his grand re-entrance into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and people are praising him, calling him the son of David, AKA the Messiah. And all eyes are on him when he pulls up to the temple. Jesus sees the wealthy Jewish leaders and highbrows packed inside the temple courts, buying overpriced animals for their Passover sacrifices. And the poor and sick and overlooked couldn't even enter the temple. And Jesus puts the kibosh on that. He flips over tables, drives out the sellers, and leaves infuriated religious leaders in his wake. But when Jesus returns the next day, he's actually able to teach and heal and minister to the people who were there in the temple to find God. And this is when the Pharisees try to challenge his authority. And in return, 
Jesus uses parables to reveal the wickedness of their hearts. So the priests and the Pharisees and everyone listening for that matter now understand that Jesus is saying the high priests have hearts that are bent against God. Jesus is spicy and I like it. He is condemning the Jewish leaders and inciting a response from them, which will literally be his death. Jesus is not passively waiting to be crucified, which I kind of think I always thought he was. He is the one moving the plot forward all the way to the climax of Israel's story. Okay, now what? For first century listeners, they have been warned of the religious leaders' pure into her impure intentions. And they will remember this story when Jesus is dragged out of town and hung on a cross. But what about when we read this story? What new things are revealed for you? I think it's so easy for me to hear this story and wipe my hands of it. I'm not a Pharisee. I believe in Jesus. But if I'm honest, my heart is just as prone to wandering. My heart is just as prone to pride and to seeking autonomy. The religious leaders presumed that they knew God and that they knew his will. But they lived their own way and their hearts were hardened because the kingdom that Jesus was bringing about doesn't prioritize behavior over heart. The Pharisees thought they were serving God because the masks that they wore became their reality and their deceit prevented them from taking a real look at their own hearts. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self go hand in hand. When we ignore our unwanted nature and sin, they only grow in their hold on us because we don't let God into those parts to heal and to minister. By the grace of God and the power of the spirit, we are the new tenants that Jesus spoke of. Later in the New Testament, in 1 Peter, Peter writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter wrote these words, and some of you are probably familiar with old Peter, one of Jesus's closest disciples. These words were written after he let his deepest fears and shames push him to deny even knowing Jesus. But his heart was still bent towards God. So he let God enter and heal the darkness and then went on to launch the early church. God wants us to further the kingdom, just like Peter. And there are always opportunities for us to join in the work that God is doing. We just have to look for it. So a question that keeps coming to my mind is, how am I advancing the kingdom? Am I? What does that look like in my own context? How are we advancing the kingdom harvest? First, let's commit to taking honest inventories of our hearts. I know this is hard. Who here wants to stare into your deepest shame and darkness? Nobody? That's what I thought. I've been reading a book called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. And he writes, self-acceptance always precedes genuine self-surrender and self-transformation. The self-acceptance comes first. And that's accepting all of yourself, even the parts that you wish weren't there. Because denying that something exists does not make it go away. Let's lean into God and ask him questions like, where am I tempted to do things my own way? Where am I clinging to what I think I know about God? Where is my heart hardened? And as I've thought about that this week, the hardest part of my heart, the part that I have never really laid out before God, is how much I want to earn people's respect and admiration and how I want so badly to be the best. It feels embarrassing to admit that. I tried to think of other things that I could tell you guys tonight. My hidden shame is the desire for accomplishments and respect. And then I pretend like that desire doesn't even exist in my heart. Funny how that sounds kind of like those Pharisees. Not funny, haha. <laughs> Lastly, let's also find the places in our life where 
like Jesus, we can act out the grace and love of God's kingdom. It could be as simple as inviting your friend or your neighbor to come with you to TNL. You could get to know that one grocery checker's name. You know the one. And just pick their lane every time you go to the store and talk to them like a human being. Volunteer at your child's school, unless your child is a teenager, because they will not thank you for that. But most elementary schools are desperate for lunch and recess volunteers. You probably have a school in your neighborhood. Serve on your neighborhood's HOA. That sounds terrible, but someone has to do it. <laughs> Intentionally share things that inspire joy and hope on your Instagram or social media, whichever one you're into. Right now for my family, it looks like fostering a four-year-old who needs consistency and safety and love. And over the last month, everyone in this church has shown up and lived out the kingdom toward our family. Because this transition came suddenly and it has been tough, but we are beyond thankful for the ways that you have prayed with us and checked in with us and brought us delicious food that I didn't have to cook. You've dropped off clothes and toys. With only one day's notice, Nikki Joe had a meal train planned. And on the very day that Link showed up to our house, so did Dustin and Christine with a freshly baked lasagna that was really, really good. We also had all the cul-de-sac kids hovering around our front door, wanting to meet him before he'd even stepped inside. We had to shoo them home. But the next day, I got an email from Link's caseworker, and I want to share it with you. She said, I want to share that the experience at your home yesterday was the most welcoming and supportive experience I have ever had for a kiddo being moved into a new home. It was amazing to see all the neighbors, friends, and supports that you all will have for your family and Link. I feel like he has finally found a soft place to land. Your soft hearts and your generosity didn't just bless our family. A complete stranger saw it and noticed it. That's advancing the kingdom. Go TNL. <laughs> You should all clap for yourselves. Or we can do a group hug after. <laughs> How can we continue to find the ways that God is working? How can we continue to join God? How do we keep our hearts soft and bent towards God? 
Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for TNL and every person in this room and those that aren't here. Thank you for using TNL to further the kingdom. Thank you for sending us Jesus, who we can look to and ponder and realize he is you. When we have questions about who you are, we can look to Jesus. And God, I just pray that your spirit would help us look deeply into our own hearts and own the things we don't like and invite you into it. Change our hearts to look more like Jesus. Keep our hearts bent toward you and not our own way. We love you so much. Amen.